hated you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chits, <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 344 of The Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult brain cancer survivor, broadcasting right now from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest support network for young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org. My fabulous co-founder, Kenny Kane, currently crossing the country on the fourth annual Stupid Cancer Road Trip. He would be welcoming all of you and our first-time returning listeners to the show right now. Never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. This show is one of our CancerCon broadcasts. We're going to be speaking with Shaney Joe Darden, who is the founder and chief creative officer of the Keep a Breast Foundation, and Amelia Baffa, who is an adolescent and young adult nurse navigator at UH Hospitals. We are welcoming them as our CancerCon exhibitors in preparation for the summit, which is taking place in a little less than a week and a half. Big gulp there. Denver. Mark your calendars, CancerCon.org. Survivor Spotlight on CancerCon Steering Committee member Nancy Beth Gulker and a special flyby guest host drop-in to one and only Ellie Mayday. Ellie, welcome to the madness of the circus tent. Thanks for having me. Ellie Mayday, a recent ovarian cancer survivor. You are how old? I am uh, turning 27 on the 15th. So you're so. 25 when diagnosed with ovarian yes. cancer. And at the time you were, I'm going to say, all the politically incorrect thing. Plus size, is that what it is these yeah, days? Okay. Yeah. Plus size model in mm-hmm. Canada, mm-hmm. diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And now you've managed to become part of a much larger plus size movement called I'm No Angel. Clearly a slap in the face <laughs> that a certain lingerie brand that we're very familiar with. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to have you back on the show in a couple of months for like a full segment. Just the serendipity of you happen- happening just to be in town for a fashion shoot, I presume, for the I'm No Angel campaign. 
Yeah, we were just, uh, I guess the uh, premiere of the uh, campaign happened on Monday on the 6th, and uh, they flew me down to be a part of it. So, you know, I was willing to get out of the rainy uh, city of Vancouver and come on down and visit you guys for a bit. Yeah, yeah. super cool. Totally random. We I think we reached out to you like last Thursday, and here you are. Yeah. Really crazy. Yeah. And hello, Sean. Hello, Mallory. Hello. None of you look like Kenny. No. <laughs> no, no gingers in the no studio. Gingers no, the there's studio. officially no more gingers in the studio that's now. That's right. That's right. Allie is uh, across the hall. Yep. And uh, Kenny is on that road trip. Where's he at? He's, he went to Raleigh. He's on his way to Atlanta tonight. He was in yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, he was Who in that? Atlanta no. yesterday. Oh, I'm losing track. Yes. New Orleans tonight. New Orleans tonight. Wow. Good for him. Stupidcancerroadtrip.org. Lots of stuff happening on that road trip. We're gonna, we pushed our second video webisode today on our wall, facebook.com slash stupidcancer. And you can follow along at stupidcancerroadtrip.org. And there are still a few meetups left happening, so you can still RSVP on Eventbrite and join them on their stops. Pretty impressive stuff. Um, Sean, we, we had another epic vacation work trip thing. Yeah, I was skiing Aspen. I yeah. was I was on the, the top of the Highland. You have a rough yesterday. life, my friend. A rough life. I'm rocking the ski goggle tan right now, so that's <laughs> good. You raccoon. Yeah. So I'm what excited. were we doing in Denver? Remind me. Uh, we were meeting with some key stakeholders, some some good friends. Had a, a good few meetings, and uh, we had our CancerCon kickoff celebration, the first ever kickoff is, celebration. And I got to say, you pulled something off pretty amazing. And epic props to the committee out there helmed by the phenomenal kelly herbert yes and uh they're her crew ran us yeah. ran a tight ship couldn't do it without them we raised five grand and 20 bucks and five thousand and twenty dollars <laughs> that's yeah very impressive very I, I was quite blown away yeah i can't wait for next year so we yeah we had a lot of fashionably fantastic uh first dates with some new players in the young adult cancer world out in Denver, and uh, I think the big news of today, oh, there's lots of big news today, but one of the major big news is today is that something happened with our fundraiser. We broke 100K. That gets this. Ooh. Yeah. I hide that button for incidences just like this. That's a solid applause. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. Well, that, that, that that's for special occasions. I feel really good. Yeah. Feel <laughs> you really should. Good. You earned it. You really earned it. I'm, I'm so impressed. It was it was amazing work. A hundred thousand dollars raised so far for the CancerCon VIP Club. They're they're incredible people out there fundraising, asking friends, family members, colleagues. How many people events. in total are part of it right now? Uh, we have a solid hundred something what? Uh, fundraisers or Is so. That, really? Yeah. A l- little bit more. I don't know the exact I feel number. Sheltered. I should know this. <laughs> I'm the boss. No, we have we have a small army out there. That is extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. So thank you to all of our fundraisers and our supporters and our sponsors. This is Kenny would make fun of me because I use this word, I overuse this word. It is unprecedented for us to be this successful yeah. in the annals of young adult cancer. It's extraordinary. Yeah, thank you everybody. So the other really big news, really really big news, is we just found out uh, about an hour ago that Instapeer was approved by Apple and is now actually in the iOS App Store for download by anybody on the planet. It's a real boy. Which is exciting. It's been three and a half years of developing, and it, it's it's like you're holding something that you gave birth to, but physically in your hand. Now it's on your phone. It's it's pretty impressive. I'm, I'm, shout out to all of our backers and our sponsors who helped bring this thing to market. Kenny and 
Rapid Value, David Beach, David Fuhrer, a, an amazing team of folks who, who brought this together. Um, and uh, going back to Ms. Mayday here, were you isolated with uh, ovarian cancer? Uh, somewhat. I, I kind of, um, I used my Facebook page to connect with people as best I could, ask them questions, and a lot of people reached out to me, so I was thankful to have that, but um, had I not already had the Facebook following that I had of 30,000 people, then right. I would have been completely in the dark. Um, Did you so. find out that some of your followers actually had cancer as young adults? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. I uh, reached out to some people. You know, I actually ended up calling a few fans and just having them on the phone and being able to just talk to them about it. Um, yeah. So, so you were your own Instapeer. Yeah, kind of, right? <laughs> just reaching out. I mean, yeah, it's such a storm going through it. So you want, you kind of just grasp onto any advice and all advice that uh, that's given to you. So, but people are pretty awesome and they, they want to help because they know what it feels like. So yeah, that, that's the whole point. People have walked in your shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, you know, you want to take advice from people that know what it's like. It's hard right. for anyone else that hasn't right. really understood. They're it. out there. I keep been saying this for years. All the young adults, <laughs> of our, they're out there. Where yeah. are they? Yeah. Well, they're following you, clearly. But yeah. they're out there. We have to find them, and we have to make them know that uh, they they either they either need to be made aware that there's someone like them that they need to that they might want to talk to, mm-hmm. or that they could be available for someone like them who needs them now. Just knowing that they're out there right. is really the the thing that is comforting. Yeah. Some of the most meaningful feedback I got while we were developing the product um, was from a 17 year old whose mom had died. So mm-hmm. she was a teen who had been a caregiver to her young mom. Or I think her mom was like 35 when she was 17. And uh, she said something enlightening. I'd never really thought about this from, from that perspective. She said that I may use Instapeer only to know that there are people like me, but I may not want to talk to them. So just this notion of knowing you're not alone is as good as mm-hmm. actually taking advantage of communicating with people who you might want to talk to yeah. that are like you. I yeah. found that quite fascinating. So we're going to get you on the app tonight. Yeah, of course. <laughs> User number four. Yeah. Figure that out. But uh, really exciting stuff. So between VIP Club hitting $100,000, CancerCon, what, 11 days away? We're 10 days away. 10 days away. Ugh, 10 get days it right, away. man. 10 days. 10 days away. 600 attendees, 40 sessions, 60 exhibitors, and a partridge in a pear tree. Yeah, there's a lot of numbers it's flying around pretty now. pretty amazing stuff. All right, well, this show is uh, our second in a series of three dedicated to CancerCon. So with that, let us uh, kick off the show. In our spotlight tonight, Nancy Beth was diagnosed with breast cancer a little over a year after her mom died of lung cancer. She went from caregiver to patient to health activist. She writes a blog about her experiences and is currently a student at the University of South Florida pursuing a master's degree in public health policy and programs. She lives in Central Florida with her dog, who unfortunately was recently diagnosed with osteosarcoma. It, it's you can't it can't escape it. Please welcome to the show the one and only Nancy Beth Galker. Nancy. Hello. So I'm never coming near you. <laughs> I know, right? If I didn't have bad luck, I would have no luck at all. <laughs> I um I've always been so inspired by you because you, you're towing the line between needing stupid cancer and leading stupid cancer, and, and it's very inspiring. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, I mean, your bio kind of sums it up. You were a caregiver. Talk about being a young adult caregiver to your, to your ailing mom because that's the caregiver component of young adult cancer is often, you know, it, it goes a little unrecognized, and usually we talk about caregiver in the sense of, like, you – your sibling, your partner, your age, but you were caring for your mom as a young adult. 
I was. It was, you know, now that I've been both a caregiver and a patient, I would say caregiver is probably so much harder. We just don't realize because as a patient, you know, all we have to do is get better or just get treatment. Like we just, it's doctor appointment, it's treatment, and, and you're so focused on that. But being a caregiver is, you know, you see someone else going through that and you want to help and you can't. You feel so helpless. So it's, for me, it was so much harder. Like, obviously, when I was caregiving for my mom, I didn't know that I was then going to be a patient. But caregiving for her was just, it was hard. And I mean, my mom refused treatment. So there wasn't that much for me to do in terms of taking her to appointments and stuff like that. So I felt even more helpless. It was just kind of like, just be there. But be there how? Right. And wouldn't it have been nice if you knew other young adults who were dealing with an an ailing parent at the time? Yeah, I didn't know anybody else. Right, exactly, exactly. And I didn't have my brother because he had committed suicide six months before. So, I mean, it was basically me trying to... to take care of this. I mean, I had my, my mom's brother was down from New York for a little bit. And so was my dad's sister to help me. But I mean, for the most part, I did the bulk of the, you know, caregiving duties myself. And I didn't know anybody else that was in my position. So you mentioned that your mom refused treatment. Was that from the, from the get go? Yeah, she was diagnosed at stage four and um, the cancer had already metastasized from her lungs to her liver and they thought probably her brain, but she just at that point was like, I just don't want to get any more scans. I don't feel well, and I just don't really want to make whatever time I have left worse than it already is. So she decided to just ride it out and not be sick from chemo or radiation for whatever short time she might have had left. So if it's possible to look at a silver lining, you had your mom as healthy as she could have been during that time? Is that fair? Yes, that that's definitely fair to say. I mean, my mom, I, now that I've been involved in the cancer world, um, you know, I've seen a lot of different ways it can go. And um, she was she was her. I mean, she was her till the end. You right. know, her personality didn't really change. She didn't get a lot sicker over a period of time. She just kind of went to sleep so it was um that would yeah that would be the silver lining I mean I I, obviously I wasn't in her shoes I couldn't make that decision for her but I agreed with her decision and I still do and then just a few short months after that how did you come across your own was it self-exam or did you no, I actually, I had put off my mammogram because I was scheduled and then my brother committed suicide. I rescheduled then my mom got sick and life got in the way. And when I finally said, oh, yeah, I should probably go get a mammogram, um, I had cancer. So it was my second mammogram of my life. And um, I, I had a, a small tumor. Right. But you're a good example of how early detection can actually make a difference, correct? I believe early detection definitely gives you more treatment options. Um, so, yes, and because I was diagnosed at stage one, I had a lot of different treatment options, um, which was good. I mean, I know it's diagnosed later. You, you're a lot of times you're kind of stuck with, well, you have to do this to save your life. 
whereas I had a bunch of different ways to go to get into that remission state. So I, I definitely feel like um, getting that mammogram or the self-exam, however you find it, when you find it early, it definitely gives you a lot more treatment options. Right. So we know a lot about breast cancer these days, and your breast cancer has a lot of adjectives and adverbs after it. Estrogen, progesterone positive, invasive ductal carcinoma with lobular features. Can you uh, opine on what those actually mean? Wow. Uh, Well, it means that the the cancer had already left the milk duct and moved out into the actual breast tissue. And I had two different types of tumors. I had invasive ductal carcinoma and invasive lobular carcinoma. The lobular stuff wasn't found until an MRI. There's um, a lot of people think that all breast cancer is a lump, but it's not always the case. So um, you just have to really look for changes, you know, be aware of, of how your breasts look normally so that you will notice those changes. I mean, some breast cancer, you get a rash. So, um, I had two different kinds and I was kind of lucky that I had the ductal carcinoma because that was found on the mammogram and then the biopsy revealed something strange. So I was sent for the MRI, which found the other kind of tumors. Had I had only the lobular tumors, I don't know when or if I would have found them. So I'm reading here in your bio that you were, you found out that you had cancer the best way possible, pretty much a text message from your doctor's friend. Actually, it was a phone call from my doctor's partner, but yeah, uh, someone I had never met in my life had an appointment with my doctor Monday, but his partner felt the need to call me on a Friday afternoon and let me know that I had cancer. <laughs> and um, just, yeah, and, and then at the end of the conversation where she just basically said, so you have cancer, it looks really treatable, your doctor will see you Monday. She actually had the nerve to say, have a good weekend. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. You can't make that up. <laughs> you just can't make that up. No. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, I, "What? Wait a minute! What did she, what yeah. did she say to me?" Like, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a little crazy. You were not on candid camera. No, I, I really, I, I was looking around. And it was at work too, and I was kind of looking around work. Like, is this some sort of practical joke? Right. This is not funny at wow. all. Yeah. So you have gone through some very serious tragedies in your life, but you were not one of them, and and it it's. It, I think it speaks to, A, you kind of have no choice but to get busy living, but how did you manage to pull out of this mentally for yourself, besides your marathon soirees with our crew every year in Orlando? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and I'm not just saying this because I have, I'm on the Stupid Cancer podcast, but Stupid Cancer literally saved my sanity. I mean, I was on the Internet at like 2 o'clock in the morning, looking for a mental hospital that would allow me to bring my dog when I stumbled across stupid cancer. And as luck would have it, there was a local meetup in two weeks time. And I went to it and found these people who understood what I was going through and who got it and who just made me realize that like I, I could make it and I wasn't alone. And even though I had no traditional family left, I had all of a sudden this new family of people who just, lift me up when I need it and, and just help me through. I mean, it, it's amazing. And I, I want to uh, clear up a stigma here. A lot of people think that, that getting diagnosed early, uh, you know, it traditionally means better outcomes, but it doesn't mean it still doesn't suck. So can you talk about the, the complete 
circus fiasco that you went through with all of these side effects and, and issues over the course of the year with these many visits to doctors with uh, your, like your knee replacement and cellular. I mean, so much stuff happening as, as a consequence right. of this. Yeah, you would think like, oh, you guys diagnosed stage one, you know, you got your mastectomy, you got your chemo, you're done. Okay, it's all good. But no, my body rejected the implant, so I got cellulitis in the left breast six times. Um, the chemo caused avascular necrosis, which is basically it killed off the cartilage in my knee, so I had to get a partial knee replacement. Um yeah, it's, it was kind of, I, I mean, I had pretty much every allergic reaction to every medication that you could possibly have. I, I was basically a walking side effect and a almost textbook example of if something can go wrong, it's going to go wrong. So you turn to the internet and you blog about your experiences. What do you write about? I did. Well, I could, I well, found it hard to find any bloggers at the time who, we're blogging about their experience, but not being super melancholy about it. And I mean, yeah, like cancer sucks. And I mean, don't let anybody tell you differently, any kind of cancer, it all sucks. But I feel like if you can kind of look at the, the crap that happens with it, with kind of a sense of humor, it just makes everything so much easier. Um, you know, pooping my pants in the Walmart wasn't a great experience, but I turned it into something funny because, like, that's kind of what happens when you're on chemo. Right. And um, so, yeah, I, I started blogging about that. And I found that, you know, people were kind of drawn to it because I wasn't just always depressed and down and writing about this miserable experience. I mean, it was miserable, but yet it was also funny. And I met amazing people. And I, I learned that I could do amazing things. And I did and you know I got busy living and I, I like to write about that also to let people know that you know you could think that that everything that can go wrong goes wrong I mean it did my dad died when I was young my brother killed himself my mom died six months later I got diagnosed with cancer now my dog has cancer like could anything else go wrong I mean I'm sure it could but in the meantime you know I'm just out there doing everything I possibly can because you never know you know what can happen tomorrow Certainly. And now you're actually channeling all of that to go and get a master's degree in public health policy. Tell us about that decision and what you think you can do with that to foster and further our, our movement. Well, I um, apparently I was supposed to be assigned a patient navigator when I got cancer, and that never happened. So I sort of found my way through the cancer world on my own. And through that, I found a lot of resources, stupid cancer being one of them. And um, felt like I can kind of disseminate that better if I'm actually in the field instead of trying to just do it through my blog or through volunteering. And I already have a master's degree in sports administration, and so I know I can get a master's. I've done it before. And I just decided that, you know, public health policy and programs would be probably the best way to do it. And learning about all of this stuff from the policy and program standpoint as opposed to just the patient and caregiver standpoint or advocate standpoint is really interesting and it makes me feel like you know maybe I can actually influence policies and programs having to do with public health and hopefully having to do with young adults in particular. It's it's very again I keep using the word inspiring because it really really is inspiring. I would be personally intrigued to learn throughout the educational process of getting this degree where are the gaps that could be filled 
in the actual pedagogy of the of the uh, educational system on top of what can you do once you have your degree to, as you say, influence policy? Well, I'm, I've only um, just begun. I've just taken my first class. I'm actually in the middle of it, and we'll have my final next week during CancerCon, so that should be really interesting. Right. Um, so I will definitely keep you posted on how it's all going. But um, so far, very interesting. We haven't delved too deep into specifics yet. It's sort of the overview of the principles of public health. But um, it, it's really fascinating. A lot of the, the um, articles we've read and stuff just really kind of hit close to home and are really interesting from the other standpoint and, and hearing my classmates' discussions as well about you know their opinions on certain things, having not been through it. Well, uh, one last quick question. Actually, not a quick question. It's So you, you've gone from a sort of a user of stupid cancer services to a leader of stupid cancer services by way of your being on the CancerCon, the inaugural CancerCon steering committee. Can you tell us about what that experience has been so far and what it means to you? Um, well, so far it has been uh, amazing. I mean, the, the fellow steering committee members are awesome. There's a cornucopia of people on there, different ages, different stages of cancer, different types of cancer, and learning from them and their experiences is incredible and just you know, working so hard to put on what we know is going to be an amazing conference and uh, working with people who have experience doing this and who don't have experience doing this, but all of us kind of just coming together and trying to make it the best that we can. And I mean, I'm inspired every day by the people that I'm working with. I mean, people tell me I'm an inspiration. I'm like, I never want it to be an inspiration. I just wanted to get through this, this crazy world of cancer and come out okay on the other side and the people that I'm working with I mean each one you know inspires me in different ways every day and I can't wait till next week and see the final product of what we put together. Nancy what's your blog URL? It is www.breastcancerbattlescars.net. Nancy Beth a breast cancer survivor uh, on the Cancer Cons Tier Committee thank you so much for coming on the show I can't wait to see you next week I know. I'm so excited. I get a big Matthew Zachary hug. Yay. All right, Nancy, thank you so much. Take care. Safe travels. All right. Thanks. You too. All righty. Let's uh, hit up the news. Kenny's not here, so I'll be reading all the news. Lovely. Here we go. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events. .stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something is probably happening in your neck of the woods, and we do not want you missing out. We've got stupid cancer events happening all over the country with the cost of the Stupid Cancer Road Trip. You can learn more at stupidcancerroadtrip.org. Cancer is lonely. we got a cure for that. Yes, Instapeer is now available for free in the iTunes App Store. Go to instapeer.org and click on download. It is your way to know you're not alone. We've launched a newsfeed aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat at stupidcancer.org slash feed. Cancer's expensive. We're proud to announce CancerMadeMeBroke.com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community wants to help. 
Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. And finally, it's always a good time to stock up on Stupid Cancer gear. Visit StupidCancerStore.org anytime and stay nice and warm or nice and cool with all new products and styles to choose from. Skateboards, Cancer, Flip the Bird, our latest plushie mascot, uh, wristbands, t-shirts, you name it, we got it. Be proud, wear Stupid Cancer, and that is your Stupid Cancer News. Our main segment features two extraordinary young ladies from our exhibitors at CancerCon. Amelia Baffa is the adolescent and young adult nurse navigator at the University Hospitals Rainbow Babies and Children's. She helps young adults who are newly diagnosed with cancer to find care, consider clinical tri- trial enrollment, and discusses fertility preservation options prior to treatment. She's been a nurse way too long, more than 30 years, and loves every minute of it. Joining her is Shaney Joe Darden after a close friend was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2000. Designer and artist Shaney Joe found that a global nonprofit organization called the Keep a Breast Foundation to raise awareness of breast cancer and to encourage prevention and early detection among young women. Now, as Keep a Breast celebrates its 15th anniversary, Shaney Joe is leading voice in the cultural conversation about breast cancer. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Amelia Baffa and Shaney Joe Darden, ladies. <laughs> Exciting. Now, Shaney, um, Actually, this is both your first time here, but I want to start with Shaney because um, I just I, I just said so. There we go. I made a decision. So, Shaney, you are someone who I, I've always been um, a, an admirer of because you chose to get involved in young adult cancer having not had it yourself. And that is ironically rare. Typically, it's people like me or, or some of our friends in the community that start charities because they had it. But your friend... Can you tell us more about your friend and what her diagnosis meant to you? Well, it was um, several years ago this year. You know, as you mentioned, we are celebrating our 15th anniversary of Keep a Breast. And my background is in clothing design. And I had a close friend who was diagnosed actually while she was pregnant. And she was an artist, a very um, amazing painter. And since I had worked and I was doing lots of exhibitions at the time with artists, her diagnosis had really impacted our small community of artists and skateboarders. And that's kind of how it all really began was through art. And I started casting my friend's boobs, asking everyone, you know, get naked, take off your clothes. Let me cast your boobs, have all the artists paint them. And Keeper Bus was really only meant to be a one-time event. And now it's um, something much different than that. So when did you realize at what point that there was something more than just this extraordinary art, almost an art performance experience of casting? Um, There was one moment where, you know, I was working full time and I was also doing keep a breast on the side. And um, a friend of mine um, who was a big supporter of keep a breast through the art community, and she had actually lost one of her sisters to breast cancer and she really just sat me down on it one day, and she's like, you know, Shaney, this is what you're doing is really important. I I want to see this grow. You know, what can I do to help you? How can I, you know, help you continue this journey? And it kind of was just that one moment that made me realize, like, I'm no longer a clothing designer. I'm an activist, and this work is important. And I I'm honored, and I need to continue doing it. And you're tackling a very difficult demographic, that being young women who are typically invincible and not aware of self-exam, even if they're told constantly about self-exam. And what have you found to be the biggest challenge there? Because you're clearly building a very strong message. 
Yeah, I mean, the biggest challenge is, you know, like you said, a lot of these young women, they think they're invincible. And so one of our biggest challenges was it is continually turning from awareness actually to action. And so we're not just talking about this. We're actually giving young women things that they can do to lower their risk and helping really to break that misconception that it is their mother's disease or their grandmother's disease. So, so many young women will come up to us and they'll be like, oh, I'm too young or, oh, yeah, my mom didn't have, you know, cancer or my grandmother doesn't run in my family. So that's one of our largest challenges. And we continue to just speak on that all the time. Like, you do not have to have a family history to be diagnosed with breast cancer or many other kinds of cancers, as you know, in your community, and that young women can get breast cancer. So it's a really important conversation to start at a young age. So let's go to the flip side of that, which is when the young adult does get cancer, breast cancer or otherwise, they are treated at a largely a, a community cancer center, but if and when they are treated at a, a large cancer center, it is always very helpful when they have an actual part of the hospital that understands they're not six or 75 years old. And I commend university hospitals and remote babies and children's because they are just that. They have been at the forefront of understanding age-related issues for survivorship and treatment. And Amelia, thanks for being on the show because I'm a huge fan of what you guys are pioneering. Oh, my pleasure. Honored to be here. So after 30 years in nursing, how long did it take for you for there to be this understanding of consensus that pediatrics was always age first because you're a kid, but then it was like everyone else got lopped into everything else, and now all of a sudden there's almost like this tri-segmentation of cancer. Uh, what's been your experience on the nursing side of that, seeing that unfold? Well, um, I think for nurses, whether you're taking care of young adults in an adult-based cancer hospital, where they're kind of an anomaly because most of the other folks in the air, in that division or floor are 40s, 50s, 60s, or you're a pediatric nurse taking care of children, and then you have a young adult, maybe with a family, um, it's, it's a unique transition for them, even understanding where young adults are developmentally. Like, for example, you might have a 19-year-old who, yes, legally can make their own decisions and sign their own informed consent, but developmentally, they may really not be quite ready to do that yet without mom and dad's help or assistance. So we're constantly checking in, understanding where we're at, where they're at, and trying to find common ground and support and advocate for them. Right. And the common ground is really, for me, what I perceive as the most challenging part, because when you're 19, 20, 21, you're, you're, you're in deference to the world. You're invincible. I was invincible. I didn't even want to talk to the doctors. I was yeah. in peds. There was no young adult segmentation back then. I was 21. Um, and I, I, they offered me a social worker. Meh, I don't need this. You know, just get, get this over with. How, how do you manage to, I guess, be relevant, if that's a, a viable word, to the aloof teen or 20-something <laughs> that just wants to get past this? Well, don't laugh, but persistence Right. Um, because we know down the road what it is they're most likely going to be going through. We understand that. So we give them that leeway. The biggest thing is creating a safe space for them and entering it when they're ready for us to enter it. But yet constantly being there, I kind of refer to myself as the best waiter you never had. I'm right. there when you need me. I'm not at the table when you don't, and I'm not going to bother you. But I'm just going to have this background presence, and when you're ready or you need help, we're going to be there for you. So you're like Siri for cancer that you never knew you needed. 
That's, that's right. That's right. You should wear that and button. Some, is- <laughs> some issues, you know, like fertility before treatment, we do have to kind of pull up a chair and sit down and talk. Right. Because these are important issues that we, you know, the options may be off the table or they may look different after treatment. Um, and we do have to kind of make those a priority. But again, we try to do that in a really respectful way, trying not to overwhelm them, but work with them. Right. And I, again, I go back to the fact that we have two very disparate exhibitors at CancerCon, but we're all part of the same conversation, which is how does cancer impact you when you're not 75 years old? And I'll go back to Shani for a sec, because Shani, amongst the women who have done castings with you and you've clearly had a, a global reach, and I know you were just in like Tokyo because that's how you roll. So how many women have come through your brand and actually found out they have breast cancer? And then what do you do with them? Um, well, a lot of times our largest outreach, what we do every summer is called the Vans Warp Tour. And we take our program, which is called Traveling Education Booth, out on that program. So you guys have come out to the tour before. So you guys know firsthand how important and how wonderful that experience is when you get to really have this one-on-one educational experience with teenagers in their own environment. So a lot of times, one year's, um, you know, young people will come to our booth, they'll learn about how to do their self-check, they'll learn, you know, maybe about diet, maybe about, you know, different chemicals that are in beauty products or house cleaning products, all kinds of different things they can avoid to lower their risk. And then, you know, maybe next year or, you know, a month or so later, we'll get a note or an email or a tweet or something back from you know, these teens and they'll say, oh gosh, thank you so much. I, you know, you saved my life or I never would have known this information if I hadn't had met you on the Vans Warped Tour. So when the teens come back to us, whether they found a lump, whether it was cancerous or whether it was not cancerous, if it is cancerous, you know, we automatically will tell them about the Young Survival Coalition as really this first stop of If you are a young woman and you are diagnosed, go there. And then we also tell people about stupid cancer all the time. You know, say someone comes to our booth and they have already had cancer and obviously they're having different issues in their life. That's where you are the best support for them. So we're really grateful to all of our relationships in this community, you know, that you have and everyone has nurtured so kindly because, Like you said, we're talking to a lot of the same people and we want to be here to support, you know, not only our audience, but to support each other and do the best work we all can together. So some of the common ground that you guys have is, Shani, you've taken on a remarkably challenging issue, which is the environment and eating well and understanding what goes inside your body, whether you breathe it, sleep it, eat it, you know, whatever it is. And uh, before we get to you answering how you guys handle the non-toxic revolution project, uh, Amelia, do you guys have nutritional counselors on staff, and and how successful have you been in bringing a lot of that narrative into the clinic? That's a great question. Yes, we do have nutritionists, um, but quite frankly, when I first started and asked them, you know, what are we doing for our oncology patients when they're newly diagnosed? Basically, it's hey, look, whatever they can eat and as much of it, and when they can eat. Not so much about you know nutrition and what it can do and how it help, can help you sustain food, your health, and neutral foods and things like that. So we're actually working now with a healthy harvest program to bring in produce 
so that our um, young adults, our survivors are newly diagnosed, can have access to healthy food, and then have classes developed to help them understand how to prepare it, um, what foods can help sustain them, maybe even make them feel a little better, be restorative. And that helps long-term with issues like obesity after cancer treatment or endocrine disorders and things like that. Do you have, um, we had a show a couple of weeks ago with, a, with I think he, what was um, uh, Thea's mom, uh, Mar- Mitch Gaynor uh, from yes. uh, Wild Canal. He is, what does he call him? He's like a genomic oncology nutrition doctor or something. He does, he, he understands how like cellular generation with like turmeric or, or thing like uh, are those practiced at, at the hospital? Are there people there that follow that other arc of nutrition? I would say not so much that I've come in contact with the population I work with, not yet anyway, Um, but we also have our own personal journey in this area, and we're working on bringing ourselves up to speed. Right. So, Shana, let's go back to you. Tell us about the origins of non-toxic revolution. It's always fascinating to see when nonprofits are so successful, they spin off other products, and this has been a really uh, exciting one for me. Uh, Well, thank you. Non-toxic revolution is our newest program. It's my, you know, newest baby. And I was really inspired to create the non-toxic revolution from the Breast Cancer Fund. They started putting out the report called The State of the Evidence, written by Dr. Janet Gray. And, you know, being in as a part of this community, it's my duty to stay up to date with as much news and information as I can on the topic. And it's my duty to read that report. And I really struggled through it. It was really hard for me because it was written in, you know, doctor language, and I really had to take my time to do this report. And I was like, you know, I freaked out. I got angry. I was like, oh, there's so many, you know, chemicals that are in our environment and our food supply and our everyday products that we lose, use in our lives that are linked to causing cancer. And from that freak out, I was like, oh, my God, this information has to get to young people. There's no way they're going to download this report. There's, how are they ever going to find it? No one's ever going to read it. So I just sort of took it upon myself to get a bunch of interns together for a whole summer, and we really worked on this project of creating a non-toxic revolution and specifically to take all that information into small, digestible easy actions that young people can take into their everyday life that isn't overwhelming and it isn't like super scary or super negative you know and that's that's what we do we take cool messages you know good science good messages to young people in a way that they get it right and there are some apps out there now i think there's an app called uh, the good guide and think dirty they actually help you barcode scan products that tell you whether you're going to die by using them right Yes, there's, um, we work really closely with the Environmental Working Group on Non-Toxic Revolution. Um, they support a lot of the science that we put out there. So, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I want to make sure everything we're doing is correct, of course. And with um, the Breast Cancer Fund and the Environmental Working Group, they have the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics with the app that, you know, you can look up all the cosmetics and the same thing. They have an app where you can scan food products and it will tell you, like, yeah, don't eat this, you're going to die, or this is a good one. Right, and then going back to the fact that this is being adopted, this this philosophy of, of understanding what goes in your body is being adopted by an institution like Rainbow Babies is fascinating to me. Are you guys, Amelia, like late to the game or early adopters to this? 
Um, I would say that we're entering the game now. One of the areas that I can't say we're early adopters in is integrative medicine. So using that approach, especially for folks that have, are dealing with long-term side effects where they've tried just about everything you can possibly imagine with no relief. Maybe it's pain or chronic nausea. And we're talking about folks that may have been off treatment for years and they're just devastated by this. So we actually have now through our Connor Integrative Medi Medicine Center, a doctor who is board certified in integrative medicine and he sees patients and does a full comprehensive consult on them and that targets their kind of pain points and looks at um, alternative therapies that may help them. And so we can work with them and they work along with their medical oncologists too. So it's a great collaborative effort and I have seen it time and time again bring relief and it's, it's a very, very rewarding program. So going back to, you know, full disclosure, I was a lobbyist for EWG and Breast Cancer Fund and Safer Chemicals Healthy Families around the uh, Frank Lautenberg, uh, I think a Tosca bill reform, which is still going through the process of, of um, you know, something like 88% of all known products and chemicals are carcinogens, but we can't prove it and the government won't let us do it. And, you know, there's only so much you can do to carbon neutral what goes in you that you can't control, like the environment, like the air, the water, you know, California's in drought now and they're telling us to eat no meat anymore because it uses, in the, I mean, apparently like almonds are the worst thing in the world now because they use the most water of any agricultural product. We all these, but almonds are healthy for you. So it's, it's a fascinating world we're living in now with these emerging changes. But as far as... Um, you know, response. Shani, what kind of response have you seen from NTR since you launched it? Well, we've received a lot of response. Um, we have the Keep a Breast fan base is really interested in NTR, but it's also opened up a wider group of people that are just interested in the environment in general and interested in how to live healthier, non-toxic lives. So, it's been exciting. It's still relatively, you know, a new program, but we're definitely looking for, you know, more support, more partners, different organizations, and also brands to partner with to help us get the word out there about non-toxic revolution. Right. Now, Amelia, we have a friend in common, Ryan O'Donoghue, who's now the CEO at First Descent. He and I met yeah. shortly after his brother passed away. And uh, we were involved with the Rise, of, Rise Above It, what was it called? The Rise, Rise to Action? I forget what, what he called it. Rise Above It, yeah. But it was a, a fascinating initial attempt at, at understanding young adult cancer. And uh, I think it really set the bar. For, and that was, this was years ago, like 06 or 05. And um, it, it was an amazing sort of step. And that was my first introduction to Rainbow Babies. So I give you guys... Uh, you know, a huge gold star for that. I wanted to ask specifically around the pediatric transition of yeah. the children that are no longer eight. What happens when they turn 17, 18, 19 and go off to the world? How do you manage those relationships and ensure that they are able to speak to their primary care physician who probably has no idea they had leukemia 20 years ago mm -hmm. and, and those scenarios? 
Awesome question. So what we do is we have a survivorship clinic that's actually staffed by uh, three of our physicians, including our medical director, as well as a nurse practitioner, myself, a social worker, a nutritionist, and an endocrinologist. And um, we follow these patients. So we have clinic um, three times monthly total. And of course, we can see them on other dates. But what's nice about these clinics is we have that comprehensive team available. So when they come in, uh, they can come in for their, if they're on, you know, every three months follow-up, six months, or maybe they're a year out now. So they're yearly annual follow-ups and we'll meet with them then. Uh, we'll see how they're doing, you know, psychologically. Um, are they adjusting well? Are they having any issues that we can help and support them with? Uh, what's going on in their life? As well as we have an ongoing support group that we borrowed your word meetup. So <laughs> we call it, you know, our young adult meetup night, which is once a month. And we have a really a nice group that comes and attends that. And we communicate with our patients too. We send out emails roughly twice weekly with just updates of what's going on in the young adult community, locally, events that are going on, education. And our young adults are getting out there. They're winning, you know, scholarships to go to programs, to go to stupid cancer, for example, to take um, a wilderness survivorship trip with uh, True North Treks. So they're getting out there and they're living and they're blogging about it and they're talking about it. And the energy is just fantastic because it carries with it the message of hope. And like Stupid Cancer says, you can get busy living at some point. So what do you guys hope to accomplish by exhibiting at CancerCon? Uh, awareness, I think. Awareness plus um, meeting young people, talking to them. I mean, that's that's where we learn what they need and in what format they need it. So, you know, I asked our young adults, hey, when we go here, what's the message you want us to bring? And I got some different types of feedback, but the underlying uh, message they wanted us to share was that our program is developed by them. So they sit on committees. When we develop something, we run it by them. Hey, guys, what do you think of this? Will this work for you? What's this format look like? Give us your feedback. So they're constructing it with us and helping us develop it every step of the way. And they said, if anything, that's what we want other young adults to know. So we will share that at uh, CancerCon. One of the interesting, I guess, byproducts of, of OMG last year before it was named CancerCon was, I'm just making this up right now, clinic shaming. Because we had a lot of hospitals come to the to exhibit. We actually, for 2014 was the first year we opened up exhibitor, exhibiting to hospitals. And we had, I think, five or six major cancer centers come and tout their wares. They were there ex exploiting the fact that they're, they're in the game. They got their, their feet in, you know, wet. They're there for the young adult crowd. And a lot of the attendees went back to their little cancer centers and said, what about you guys? Look at what these guys are doing. And I, I'm anticipating that happening again. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we do want more cancer centers to develop age-appropriate programs like these. We sure do. So, Shaney, we, we know you guys are amazing and awesome. And this, I think, were you there last year at uh, OMG in Vegas? We were there in Vegas, and we exhibited um, Keep a Breast last year. And so this year, we wanted to switch it up, and we will be strictly exhibiting Non-Toxic Revolution program. So it's the first time that we'll be exposing this program to the young adult community. And we're just really excited to see what the response is, um, how the community really engages with the information we have. A lot of the feedback we have you know, gotten before being there as Keep a Breast was like, well, 
you guys are t- talking about like self checks and prevention, like I already had cancer. What do you have for me? So, you know, I feel like we'll be able to bring a little bit more to the table for the community with non-toxic revolution. And it'll just be great to get the feedback, see how we can do a better job to serve that community with the information, because whether you've been diagnosed or not, the information we have to give about non-toxic revolution is just good and important for everyone. And I can tell you, I mean, for what it's worth, the majority of our community are young adults who've already been through the worst and are now just getting busy living, trying to rebuild their lives and, 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 and be themselves again in their new normal. This is a huge issue for, for young adults, whether they've had cancer or not, is we feel betrayed and duped by the mechanics of an industry that doesn't seem to care about anything yeah. but, but profits over purpose. And what can we do as a generation to fight back against these monsters who are, you know, are, are, I, I just, and just a personal anecdote, I am, I'm, they may, they never be a sponsor, but Pepperidge Farm, they just disclose that their goldfish are made of these, the, the cheese is like toxic. And oh it was like this massive report in Consumer Reports about the goldfish that I grew up with Pepperidge Farm, you know, and, and here they are. So my kids aren't eating them anymore because they were like pretty much drowning them every day. But this upsets me. And this is an issue of our generation. So, Part of where I think that, you know, the hospitals have an opportunity is they're sending, they're building this small army of young adults that are empowered to take advantage of things that have meaning to them that may not have had meaning to them when they walked in the door the first time. So it's it's amazing that there are these confluences happening that we're not even aware of. Exactly. I, yeah. I truly believe that. And I'm the same. Like, I just get freaked out and upset when... There are things available to you that are, you know, toxic and poisonous and carcinogenic that you just buy on the grocery store and you give to your kids. And so that's what, with all of this information, we can create change, you know, by voting with our dollars and by, you know, working together to change laws to protect ourselves and our families even more in the future. Well, I, I can't thank you guys enough for supporting Stupid Cancer, supporting young adults with cancer, and from an institutional perspective, maybe you are clinic shaming for all the right reasons, and we want to see <laughs> what you guys are doing out there to spread more to other centers that are that embrace young adult cancer. So thanks for joining me. Shani Jo Darden is the, what is your official title? You're, you're not the CEO. You're the... Um, I'm the uh, founder and chief creative officer. Chief creative of officer, Foundation. yes. Want to get fancy, chief creative. I'm like, you're not the CEO, <laughs> chief creative officer. Amelia yeah. Baffa, uh, AYA nurse navigator at University Hospitals, Rainbow Babies and Children's. I look forward to seeing you both in Denver next week. Thank awesome. you so much. All right. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much. Amelia Baffa and Shani Joe Darden. All right, folks, looks like that's our show, and now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 344th episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. 
like to thank our guests, Nancy Beth Gulker, Shani Joe Darden, Amelia Baffa, and drop-in surprise guest at the top of the show, Ellie Mayday from I'm No Angel. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity that comprehensively addresses young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. So if you haven't already, visit stupidcancershow.org and never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Coming to you from the chemo deck. And on behalf of myself and Kenny Kane, Mallory Rivera, and Sean Shapiro, thanks for listening. And we will see you next week on the next broadcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week, folks.